Hello, and welcome to the Quantum Realm, where we break down the movies and shows of the Marvel Cinematic Universe piece by piece in release order. Together, we'll celebrate the stories, moments, and characters that we've come to know and love. My name is Jacob Devlin, and for this podcast, I will be your watcher, your guide through these vast new realities. All right, everybody, welcome to episode one of The Quantum Realm. If you didn't listen to the first episode, the preview episode that we released recently, what we're doing is we're going through the Marvel Cinematic Universe piece by piece in the release order. And so um, I'm really excited to kick things off today with our first co-host. We have my great friend, my dear friend is with me, Katie Salaitis. How are you doing, Katie? Hi, I'm doing good. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, this is going to be really great. You were absolutely the perfect person to kick things off. I was thinking about how um, we go way back now. What, 2016, I think, was when we met at Phoenix Comic Con. Right? Yeah, was it, was it that long? Oh, my goodness. Oh, time flies. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we kind of come from the intersection of two different worlds, right? Because when we first met, it was actually online. You, ho- you co-hosted a book release for me. And then we actually met in person like a month or two later at the Comic-Con. And so we've always had this tie into the literary world, into the Comic-Con world, picking apart stories and geeking out together. And so when I thought about co-host for this, I was like, Katie's got to kick this off. So oh, Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and seriously, though, I mean, when you can just geek out with your buddies, is that not the best thing? But I can't <laughs> wait for Comic-Con. Oh, my goodness. Two more months. Uh, it's just going to be so fun to see you and Jenna and to geek out. And yeah, are you going to cosplay too? I haven't decided yet. I actually was kind of playing off of the Encanto theme that, that I might, if I could find the right outfit to, to throw together a Peppa costume. Oh, that, that would, would be, be so much, so fun. much fun. Right? <laughs> oh man, that's going to be great. I bet we're going to see a lot of Encanto costumes out there. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, that movie just exploded this year. Definitely. Got to look for Bruno's. We got to put that on our cosplay bingo. Oh, yes. Cosplay bingo. Oh, see, I can't wait. It's been so long. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mentioned that in the pre-episode, how we do our cosplay bingo. We put Deadpool in the center square. We're going to see a lot of Deadpools. Going to see a lot of Encantos. And it's going to be Doctor Who's. Doctor Doctor Who's. I, I will. I will have my Doctor Who outfit. I always bring that one. That's perfect. Yeah. That's classic Katie. So. It's the jacket. It's a power jacket, I tell you. Definitely. And I do now, thanks to my daughter, I do now have the proper sonic screwdriver to go with it. All right. You got your screwdriver. I remember you looking for that for a while. Yep. And and she was so cute. She she got it on sale. She was like, mom, mom, you won't believe the deal I got on this. Five bucks. I'm like, what? It can't be real. No. Yep. (laughs) It was it. It's like, this is so awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Merry Christmas, mom. (laughs) <laughs> good stuff Katie do you want to share a little bit about your books and things that you've worked on before yeah sure I uh I like to write all things fantasy so vampires werewolves witches what have you I usually stick to the modern day setting when I write them I've got oh geez what is it six series that are out now and one that that I will finish eventually I promise everybody I will finish the agents of asset eventually um that one I believe I'm on book five of and I usually go to about six books with a series before I, I tend to need to change to something else. Yeah. But uh, the the Agents of Asset is my most recent book series, and it's kind of my love letter to all the fantasy creatures. I, I dive into the fae, I dive into the typical magic creatures, I dive into the vampires and the werewolves and the shifters, and I try and, and give in each book a little bit more of what's going on behind the scenes that the human world doesn't know about and how the asset agents kind of keep everything under wraps and uh, keep magic in control. Those books are so much fun. It's just really cool to think because you set some of it in Phoenix and Vegas. And so when I go and walk around these cities, it's kind of thing to imagine, you know, what's kind of going on behind the scenes. It really kind of sparks imagination. And I think it's awesome to, to have you talk about those because for anybody who is a Marvel fan and watches the MCU, you have a writing style that I think is very much in line with that kind of action that we see in the movies and your characters have this fun like snark to them <laughs> that reminds me of the, the MCU's, you know, the kind of the dialogue that happens between them. So yeah, I check I, it out. I, I love snarky arguing characters. I, I just, <laughs> I do. I love it. And, and 
speaking of fighting, that that's another thing. I, I do like to put a lot of good fight scenes in my books. And I actually end up teaching uh, fight courses at Combat Con every year because of that. So that's coming up later this year. I'll be doing um, the writer's intensive. I'll be heading up those courses this year in uh, July. I can't wait. Oh, I've been so missing all of these in-person events. Now, one fun fun question that I get sometimes when we're about to go to Comic-Cons, there's always somebody in my life who asks me, what is Comic-Con? Do you ever get that? Yeah, and it's a hard question to answer because it's it's different things to different people. I mean, you could you, you can go broad and you can say, well, it's a celebration of fantasy and pop culture, but that's it's a little too broad. It, it doesn't really nail the feel of it. And and I can only speak for myself, mm-hmm. but as a writer, I feel inspired when I go because I'm seeing people who share the same love for different genres that I love and who can discuss characters in depth with me. And I, God, I love that. Um, I know, you know, I'll sit there at the booth, not selling books, but talking to people for hours on end about Doctor Who or, or a specific character because I saw something on their shirt as they walked by. I just, I love that. I, it feels to me inspiring. I'm, I'm around people that kind of think the same way I do, that feel the same way I do and are very passionate about the different fandoms that we belong to. Yeah, I think that's beautifully said. And I think I have a very similar love for it. It's for me, it's, you know, selling books and, and you know, that, that's fun stuff. But it's, it's also just really fun to find people who share that love for fandoms and pull them in and say, you know, I love your cosplay. And that sparks a whole conversation. And sometimes a whole friendship will come out of this. You know, there's people who are going to be on the show later who I met at Comic-Cons, either walking around in their cosplay or wearing a shirt and they picked up a book and then we just became friends from there. (laughs) So that's, yeah, I love that. Those connections that you make are are really genuine. I mean, I, we met, uh, what was it? We met Steve at uh, Tucson Comic-Con God, I can't remember how many years ago it was. It was the first time I saw him in his Captain America and he kept coming by and we kept just chatting and we became buddies. And years later, we're still buddies. And I love that. And we look forward to meeting each other at, at you know, conventions every year. It's, it's our, our kind of way to reconnect. Absolutely. And just a preview for everyone listening, you'll get to hear from Steve in a couple of episodes. His name is actually Steve Rogers, and he's going to be chatting about Captain America with us. Oh, he's so. awesome. He, yeah. He's so awesome. And he's, he's like a dead ringer. He really is. Yeah, he looks just like him. He has this legit cosplay, really authentic, you know, pieces that he gets made for him. And uh, I can't wait to talk about that. And and Haley with, with her Haley. costumes. Oh my goodness. When they did the dancers with the, the American, oh my God, they were so good. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. I love them. They are such a cute couple. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So I think we should get into it now. So, yeah. Iron Man. All right. So 2008, first movie, kicking off the MCU, kicking off phase one, kicking off the Infinity Saga, which covers three phases. So very important movie in history, really. Um, And so going back to 2008, this was such, uh, it blew my mind just thinking that far back. That feels like forever ago. It does. It does. 14 years ago. So so tell me what you remember about that time. Did you go see it right away? You know, I don't think I saw that one right away. I was not a huge comic book movie fan at the time. And I, I remember thinking back then, I was like, this is, are they really going to make a thing out of this? Because mm-hmm. I was a, you know, a Star Wars and a Star Trek fan from childhood. And mm-hmm. so I already had those were my established fandoms. And I, I wasn't, I knew the comic book characters, but I wasn't like a ravenous fan of them. And so I ended up waiting on that one and seeing it, you know, after it went to video and I was blown away by it. I was surprised by how good it was. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't what I had expected. I expected, remember that, the the Batman series, the early, early ones that were more cartoonish and and brightly colored. That was what I was envisioning when they were doing these new movies. Because Iron Man came out the same time as uh, The Incredible Hulk, like a month apart. That's right. Yeah. So May 2nd was Iron Man and then Hulk came out in June. So they were released very close together. Um, And one did well and one didn't do as well. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. And then what I remember about 2008, that summer, there was all this hype surrounding the Dark Knight. That's what everybody was talking about. And I think 
A lot of that probably had to do with our collective grief over Heath Ledger and knowing that that was his final performance and he was being nominated. There was Oscar buzz already for him. And so we couldn't wait to see what Heath Ledger did with the Joker. And so, um, but I, I had a funny experience with this because thinking about back to my first experience with Iron Man, I didn't know who this character was before I went into the movie. Um, and I don't remember a lot of hype about it. I don't remember seeing a trailer. I don't remember anything about Iron Man until my friend pulled me aside and said like, yo, we're going to Iron Man tonight. And um, not knowing who the character was, I thought this was gonna be a movie about like some sort of marathon or like sports thing. And I was like, that sounds like the worst thing I've ever heard. I don't wanna go watch a sports movie. <laughs> and then she goes, no, Jacob, you should know, like you're the comic book geek, like Iron Man, Marvel Iron Man. And I didn't know who she was talking about until we got there and we watched the movie and I was just like, this is so cool. This is amazing. <laughs> it, it really draws you into, and, and you're right about the hype thing. I don't remember there being a lot of hype for Iron Man. I do remember the dark Knight, And I remember that was one that I did go see, but 2008 had a whole host of really good movies that came out that year. I mean, we're talking twilight, whether you love it or hate it, that was a huge one. Uh, Wally. Wally, yes, Pixar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Never miss uh, it. Benjamin Button, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button came out that year. Step Brothers came out that year. Kung Fu Panda came out that year. Taken, the first Taken oh came out gosh. that year. Tropic Thunder. My <laughs> ex husband really loved that one. Um, Quantum of Solace, 007. Wow. Um, Slumdog Millionaire, that was another huge one that got a lot of talk. And Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I mean, that. 2008 and that wasn't even all the movies that's just the big ones that was a huge year in movies that's true I didn't even think about all of those I, I remembered you know Dark Knight I remember Indiana Jones coming out that year that was a big disappointment yeah I was disappointed by that one <laughs> so we'll see if they redeem themselves but the next one is coming. and that was another one I went to the theater to see like yeah. should have gone and seen Iron Man yeah, definitely. But but I remember really enjoying it when I when I watched it. And so a couple of weeks later, I think I saw it a second time with a different group of friends and they wanted to go to the movies. We didn't know what to watch. And I was like, you know, Iron Man was pretty good. We should go watch that. And so and so I remember seeing it a second time. And after that, I started, you know, trying to get a little bit more into comics because I was a hardcore X-Men person. I grew up, you know, with the cartoons and you know some video games and then I, I loved the the franchise in 2000 and so everything was compared to the spider-man trilogy and to the x-men movies and um after after iron man was when i tried to get a little bit more knowledge under my belt about who all these characters were and um i watched one of the featurettes last night where john favreau you can see him going through talking to the sound mixers and just trying to get this movie ready and you can see all this pressure that he was under as the director and he made a quote at some point about how we don't know how this is going to go this could be anything from a flop to a mediocre you know one hit wonder or something like that and it's just wild to think how you know it, it exploded into what it is now 32 movies and counting it was a perfect storm because i mean you had the Incredible Hulk come out a month later, and it is not the catalyst that Iron Man was. Yes, Iron Man did technically come out first. They were both being shot about the same time. Mm -hmm. Iron Man was the one that people wanted to follow. And I remember after watching Iron Man, I was excited for the next Iron Man to come out. And I, I wanted to go see that one. So mm -hmm. I was hooked by the time that the second movie came out because I loved the first. They... They created a perfect storm. You had the right directors. You had the right production crew. You had the right. Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think there could be any other actor that would have fit the role as well as him. He had the right charisma. He had the right attitude. Even his own personal history helped play into that, that character and how he could actually be that character. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting to think about what could have been. I was looking up all these people that could have been Iron Man, could have been Pepper. So we had Timothy Oliphant was almost uh, Iron Man at one point. Um, Hugh Jackman turned it down because he was already too well known as Wolverine. So it's interesting to think about how that could have yeah, worked out. I, I um, couldn't see him doing it. No. And Sam Rockwell, who would go on to be in the MCU and the Iron Man series, but he um, he was almost Tony Stark. And then fun fact about Pepper was she was almost played by Rachel McAdams, who would go on to be Christine Palmer in the Doctor Strange movie. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that would have been as, as good. 
Yeah, it's always interesting to think about what could be. They should do a what if season about like different actors playing, playing these characters. <laughs> I wonder if they could, I mean, no knocks to any actors out there. It's a hard job mm -hmm. to, to really portray the character. But I think they, they hit the nail right on the head. It was the perfect storm. They had the right group together to make it work. And, you know, you change out one person and it's going to cause a different thing. You know, it's not going to have the same feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was absolutely perfect. Now, when you watched it, did you have any sense that it was going to blow up into what it did? Like, did you have any sense that we would have the MCU after watching this one movie? Even, even and I hate to say this, even at Iron Man 3, I thought, well, this is fun. They've, they've had their, their run. I can't see them doing anything big with this. And I remember having this discussion with a friend of mine's husband who was like, no, they're going to, they're going to make this huge thing. And they're going to have all these different movies. And they're going to play all the different characters. I'm like, yeah, okay. We'll see when that happens. <laughs> Eating crow right there. Right. <laughs> I, I was not a believer. I mean, I enjoyed the movies, but mm -hmm. I didn't think they could go as far as they did. I'm surprised. And I'm, I'm glad they did because it's been 10, what is it? More than 10 entertaining years. Right. Yeah. Almost 14 now. <laughs> Holy crap. I mean, yeah, they've been going for a long time. Definitely. And and the stories, you know, even if you don't like all of the different comic book characters, you're going to find one story you do like. And when then they they kind of overlap into the other, you're you're more willing to go, okay, okay, let me look at them now. And then yeah. you end up doing movie marathons with your kids where you watch them in order. <laughs> We've done that a few summers in a row where we've gone, okay, it's time to start our, our MCU <laughs> marathon. Get your popcorn. We're going to go all in for this. <laughs> Every night, a different movie. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> we do. So. We, we have movie marathons at different parts of the year. Like MCU is always the summer. Star Wars is always Christmas. Oh, that's and then Harry Potter tends to usually be around Halloween. That's perfect. That's a great aesthetic for Halloween. Harry Potter yep. and Halloween <laughs> go together very well. <laughs> so. Yeah, so um, so you and I both rewatched the movies recently. We watched Iron Man. Um, so what was it like for you to watch this again after we've been through 32 movies and Mar Marvel has spoiled us in the past few years? So how does it hold up watching this now that we've had everything that we have now? It, it makes me appreciate the way that the films were back then when it was it was more down to earth troubles before we got really, you know, crazy outer space, all kinds of aliens. I mean, again, don't get me wrong. I love what they've done with it, but it was kind of mm -hmm. like visiting an old friend. It was like, wow, I forgot how much I like this. Yeah, it's a very grounded movie. It's very earthly. You could almost see it happening in our world today. And I, I had a, a very similar experience. You know, I love everything that we've had recently, but it was kind of cool to go back and and you know, kind of pick the story apart and then realize I like it even more today. I think it holds up even better now than um, than when I first saw it. You know, I liked it back then, but I, I would say I like it even more now. It's it's the perfect movie to start the MCU. I, I think one of the reasons, at least for me, that that I really appreciated what they did with Iron Man, that they don't really do as much in the modern movies, is they don't show them failing to succeed. Where they were comically showing all of Tony's failures and, and it really it became like an entertaining montage to see every time he would try and fail and try and you know he would get up and do it again and he would eventually get there but it was great to see the different failures and to see how those failures actually helped him understand things like when he went he decided to go as high as he could possibly go and then you got the icing problem and then how it played later in the movie. It was like, ah, oh, I liked that. They, they used that failure in such a good way. There's a lot of that, yeah. I think the first 15 minutes of the movie, so if we dive into act one, the first 15 minutes, we learn so much about Tony Stark in a short period of time in a way that I think feels really natural. Um, so we open with his fun V ride. He takes the fun V while Rhodes takes the humdrum V <laughs> in Afghanistan. <laughs> um, the military is geeking out over him. And then we have this big explosion. The clock turns back three days. Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. The conversation in the Humvee was really telling about his personality. Yes. You could really, I mean, instantly you're seeing his quick-witted nature. You're seeing how he disarms people with humor. You're seeing that he's the cool guy. He's fun. He's taking pictures. He said, what is it? I don't want to see this on your MySpace profile. And I went, oh my God, MySpace. That's not even a thing anymore. But you know, he was being cute and he was being funny. Mm -hmm. 
you know, he, he was a real like man of the people, even though he was not in the same level, like he was very relatable. And, and I liked that. You, you got a sense that he can be a likable character, can be. He's not mm-hmm. perfect. He's not great, but he has the potential. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then the award ceremony, that just shows a whole other side of him. Yes. <laughs> when we cut there and we go back three days to Las Vegas, your neck of the woods, right? so they're at Caesar's Palace. He, we get a nice montage of his life growing up. Um, a little, you know, gem of his backstory, the, you know, the fact that the Starks, you know, the, the car crash involving his parents, and that's just briefly glossed over. It'll become a huge thing later on. Um, but we get that, that little piece of his backstory in the montage. We learn just how much of a genius he is that at 21, he became the CEO of Stark Industries. Um, and is partnered with Obadiah Stain. So that's our first introduction to Obadiah, um, who goes and accepts the award on Tony's behalf and says, you know, Tony's not here. It's because he's working really hard. <laughs> Cut to him having some fun gambling in Caesar's Palace, not even accepting his award. <laughs> so. Yep. Oh, yeah. And when, when uh, Rhodey walks up and hands it to him, he's like, oh, yeah, thanks. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Gives it to Julius Caesar. <laughs> So he, again, he, he's showing the true character. So you saw the cool part of him and you saw the excessive part of him, but he is a genius. He, he is an absolute genius. And that plays out multiple times throughout the, the movie. Um, I think there was, one, there was a quote later on, and I know we're not there yet, but where there's a, a scientist and, and Obadiah is talking to him and he's like, why can't you do this? Tony did this in a cave. And he's like, I'm not Tony. You know, nobody is as smart as him and he's let it go he's let it go to his head that's one of my favorite parts of the movie i can't wait to circle back to that just that (laughs) one line um but but yeah we learn so much about that piece and just how much of a genius he is like he seems to be doing all of this with with ease he's so casual about it he's just like here julius caesar have my award i think it's for you render unto caesar that which is caesar's um and so after the awards you know after he hands this off we we get to meet um, Christine Everhart outside, so she's the reporter, and um, we we learn about Tony's stance on weapons, how his father's philosophy was such a big part of his upbringing, um, saying that peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. So that's kind of how we we start with him, and it's a, a good start start to his movie arc because we're not sure if he's going to feel that way at the end. But. Yes, I mean, and, and that's good. You're setting up the things that need to be toppled down in order to remake his personality or to remake him into the hero, not necessarily his personality because he never changes, mm-hmm. but he, he does reconfigure his, his priorities. Definitely. And that little scene is so much fun. He's walking to his car and then he hears her voice and he has to ask Happy Hogan, John Favreau, like, is, she, <laughs> is she cute? Is she okay? <laughs> the whole time he's flirting with her too. That's true. Like, yeah, the, the super cool, smooth flirting with her at the same time, mm-hmm. and then and the next morning, the next morning, <laughs> Pepper Potts. She does everything for him, including take out the trash. Oh, I love that line. Oh, oh it's such a good one. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Oh, she was. You, you immediately see her just being cool and collected. You know, she has everything together. She is the organizer of all these things. And she takes out the trash and she has no shame for it. <laughs> I know, just the, the way she delivered that line. Oh, oh, I loved it. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing that in the theater and there was all this laughter, rightfully so. Like, it was just one of those perfect things. Ten minutes into the movie, like, she steals the show. Yep. Um, and we also meet Jarvis then. We get Paul Bettany's voice right away when she goes and tries to fidget with the, the dials. And that's our first intro to Paul Bettany in the MCU. I love his voice, too. Oh. Right. That was great that they brought him in way, way back in the beginning. And he's he's been there from like the very start. Yeah, he's a fixture now. Yeah, I can't yeah. the MCU without him. So. Absolutely. He, he is like 100% embedded into the MCU. Like he's evolved with the movies, with the characters. You you know, you get to the end of the line and you, you really feel like as much pain as Scarlet Witch. Right. Like, oh my God, why no? absolutely you never would have thought like hearing this voice in iron man's house in the beginning that you were going to grow so emotionally attached to him <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but we will we absolutely will for but the that's people. that's that slow weaving story of just bringing in the characters and showing how they connect and bringing in more characters and connecting them i mean mm-hmm. they did a really good job i i 
did not expect them to get where they got. And I'm amazed that they're still going too, because they're, they're not running out of material at all. Oh, no, no. If anything, it's kind of like in Doctor Strange where like there's the, the hands coming out of his hands. Like it's just like infinitely expanding. And I feel like the MCU is going to do that. Like there's going to be these threads that just keep on multiplying. <laughs> and it's yeah. going to get bigger and bigger. When, when he said, and I knew I've seen the movies, you know, before, but even rewatching it when he said that he, he was going to see his family when he's released and you know, they're not going to be released. It was like, oh, <sighs> Yeah. oh no foreshadowing <laughs> yeah I mean just that one moment I was like oh I know what he said no yes. and yet he worked diligently right yes. alongside he saved Tony he worked right alongside him he he put up with Tony's attitude mm -hmm. and he got him to start on the right path absolutely even though we're not entirely sure how he feels about Stark in the very beginning because he makes a comment about like, I know you from a conference that we went to together and you don't remember me because you were super drunk, <laughs> but he doesn't hold that against him. Like he's like- It was a right, backhanded compliment though, because he's like, you were super drunk, but you still gave a speech on, I forget what the subject was. True, yeah. So there's levels to that. Yeah, like he he has this, this flaw, but at the same time, he was able to deliver this amazing presentation and, you know, kind of gain his respect that way. And <laughs> so. again, it points back to that super genius, that that next level beyond what we can comprehend genius. Definitely, yeah. So we see them together in the cave and there's a camera pointed on them. It says, smile for the camera. We're being watched right now. <laughs> and then the terrorist center and... What I, I didn't even remember that these were the 10 rings that we're going to meet later in the MCU. The 10 rings are, are here to torture Tony and, and rough him up and tell him that he has about a week, right, to build the, the Jericho missile. That confused me because they said he has a week, but mm -hmm. when he gets back, he says it's been three months. I remember having that same question too, because I remember something about a week and then, and then he does make that line about like, what, three months? It's been three months. It's so did they maybe just give him extra time once they started working or was the week comment just like, you're just going to die in a week if you don't do anything? Maybe, maybe there's some things going on off camera about like, I need a little bit more time or maybe it took him forever to wake up or I don't know. That could be it too. So he gets and with the car battery attached the whole time. <laughs> Oh my goodness, right? <laughs> that ju it just makes me so squeamish to think about that and to see that car battery. <laughs> oh, and just how dirty everything looked and he's got something stuck in his chest. Ah. Gosh, a hole in his chest. Yeah. Ah. And how Jensen stopped the shrapnel from getting into his heart. So, Which was pretty ingenious of an invention. Yeah, I, I don't know. Mad respect to engineers and to people who can do things like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so a line that I wrote down, I, I made a note about how they're having this conversation. And um, we talked about how Jensen says, you know, I'm going to go home and see my family. And then he says, what about you, Tony? And Tony says, I don't have any family to go back to. And so Jensen says, so you're a man who has everything and nothing. And I think this is just the beautiful start to his overall MCU arc, like hearing this after everything that we've been, to, been through in 32 movies that gave me chills. Like this was this is the start of his arc right here. He, he has nothing in the beginning and we'll see how that changes over time. But. Yeah, and I, and I think there was that moment's pause there where he took it to heart. Mm -hmm. Maybe um, not responding immediately, but there, there was that pause that like, oh, okay. So, um, so lots of time they're, they're building, they're hammering away at things. We hear all the, the tinkering and clanging and all the things that they're doing. Um, you see Tony... the, the, so sorry. No, go for it. Yeah. I was going to say the terrorists watching the video and looking at the picture and going, wait a minute, that doesn't look right. That doesn't look like the Jericho. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so they come in and torture Jensen. They're ready to dump that. I don't know if it's metal or coal into his, his oh. mouth before Tony intervenes and says, no, I need this man. Like you need to keep him alive for me. Um, then they give him one more night. They said, you have till tomorrow to get my missile ready for me. So um, and it's, it's really fun watching this with the eight sequence structure in mind. So every 15 minutes or so, you see kind of a new climax happen. And so 30 minutes in is when they give him their fi his final night to build the Jericho. And of course, that cues this beautiful finale to act one where we get Tony's big escape. So yes. the terrorists come back and ready to collect on what he's built. <laughs> Again, failing to succeed. The suit 
doesn't work as expected. It takes longer than expected to boot up. There, there's problems right from the go. Nothing works perfectly. But I think that the best one was when he slams his hand into the wall and it gets stuck. Oh, that's right. He's yeah. trying to pull it and the guy shoots him in the head and it freaks <laughs> and gets him and then he pulls out. It's yeah. Just, it's a perfect comedy. I love that part. Definitely. We get a little bit of everything in that 10 minutes or so where it kind of starts off almost like a horror movie feel where Yinsen runs off, he's ready to buy some time. And then the lights go down and it's quiet and we kind of take the terrorist perspective for a little bit and they're freaking out like what is going on here what are we going to run into and then all the the shooting and blasting starts and here's iron man 1.0 <laughs> so yeah mark one. Oh, mark one yes so blasting his way out getting ready to get out of this cave and go home um but of course there's this sad moment there's the sacrifice for it because yinsen doesn't survive the encounter and but he's at peace with it, though. He's at peace. He's ready for this. He assures Tony, this is what I want. This is what I was expecting. This is what I what I need. So. And that's when he reveals that his family's all dead to throw mm -hmm. back to that previous line. Yeah. Heartbreaking. You're like, oh, if you didn't get it, then you got it now. Got it now. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and this was like the moment that sold me on Tony, on Tony because he is visibly upset by this. Like you can see his eyes water and he's just says, you know, thank you for for saving my life and, and it just adds so much depth to him after you know the 15 minutes of like the irresponsible irresponsible dude that we have like he has a heart you know he um, mm -hmm. he's, he's got and, a lot of depth and Vincent tells him not to waste it and he doesn't which he doesn't. is good yeah. so without Jensen you don't get Tony on that path again but, perfect storm has to, to be created to get the right results perfect storm yeah so so he blasts his way out he gets out of the cave the shoot suit crashes, all the little pieces go into the desert. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> it was beautiful the way they like the, the way they showed it, where he's just kind of halfway in the dirt and there's just pieces everywhere. Right. <laughs> How did you survive that? <laughs> he's just like, this is fine. <laughs> Gets up and walks it off. <laughs> yes. And then Rody and incoming in the helicopter. Incoming, act two, here we go. How did they find him, I wondered? Because when I watched it, I was like, he didn't have any communication. That's a I know they would be looking for him, but that's a lot of desert just to randomly fly over. Definitely, so that's a good question, yeah. <laughs> How they ended up finding him. Um, but I love this moment after his rescue, you know, the next 10, 15 minutes are his homecoming and just all the, all the depth that we get to his relationships. So um, once he gets back home, there's all these people waiting for him outside of the, the helicopter, but he goes straight for, for Pepper. He's ready to reunite with Pepper. And I love their exchange there where, you know, she's crying and then he's just like, oh, you're sad for your boss. And she's like, oh, it's tears of joy. Like, I didn't want to go look for a new job. Like, I'm safe job now. <laughs> he's like, vacation's over. <laughs> yep. Yes. And then, so we get a little interaction with Happy Hogan, John Favreau, and he asks, where do you want to go? We're going to take you to the hospital. And Tony is like, no, I want a cheeseburger and a, pe a press conference in that order. Cheeseburger first. <laughs> and that, that plays again later on in the MCU as well, the whole cheeseburger thing. Right? Who would have known that this hilarious, I thought it was a hilarious line. And in the end, it's going to come back and punch us with all the feels. Like we're going to get so emotionally invested in this cheeseburger thing, his love for cheeseburgers. <laughs> So cheeseburger. I mean, come on, what would you do if you've been kidnapped in the desert for three months? First oh, thing that's you... true. Yeah, I would go straight for the cheeseburger. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> yes, from Burger King. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I draw the line. <laughs> All right. So we get, get to... <laughs> so we get to his press conference, which is just a big turning point in the movie where First of all, enter Phil Coulson from the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. Quite a mouthful. <laughs> I love how they kept saying it the whole time too, till right, right at the very end. <laughs> right till the very end, yeah. And, they, and what's funny about this is that they just keep on dodging him. Like he keeps popping up like every act, every 15 minutes or so like, hey, like Phil Coulson here, we need to debrief. And they're just like, yeah, Phil Coulson, cool. Like I'm gonna go do this thing over here. <laughs> and they just leave him in the dust until they really need him. <laughs> he's always got such a great personality about it though he is he's a real one such a wholesome dude Phil yep. Coulson. so 
So he enters, Tony sits everybody down at the press conference, like, let's sit down, I'm gonna eat my burger, we're gonna talk, right? And he announces he is done with the weapons industry, no more. He's seen people killed by the weapons that he's made. He feels like he's filled them and we're done making weapons. And so big shocker, stock prices are gonna drop. Of course, the, the board of directors is not gonna be happy with that. I mean, yes, he may be the CEO, he may be the chairman. He doesn't have full control over that kind of stuff. So he is answerable to others on the board. And that's what Obadiah says he's going to smooth over. That's true. Yeah. So Obadiah Stain takes over at the press conference. He's like, doo, 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 there's nothing to see here. Tony's home, everybody. Jazz hands, right? Right. Um, yeah. So um, he, oh, he, was I... a, he was a good villain to me. He was a really good villain. The motivation, yes, you can look back on it and say it was a simple motivation. And yes, it played earlier. You know, we couldn't mm -hmm. have that same motivation in today's MCU movies. But it played really well back then because it was a simple, it was down to earth. It was a very human mm -hmm. greed. I mean, that that's, you know, people will do all kinds of stuff for money and power. And so seeing yes. that was just like, oh, that made him evil. That made him so, so evil. I liked it. It did. And what I like is his evolution over the movie, because in the beginning, he's so buddy-buddy, like, hey, it's Jeff Bridges. Like, I'm your buddy, Tony. We're in this together, right? And then over time, we're going to see him go into full, like, mustache twirling mode. And I love it. Just the evolution. Yeah. The, the curtains revealed, like, all of that surface stuff, there's the sinister behind it you didn't know was there. And while he still puts on the smile and he still sounds really good when he's talking to you, True. once you start realizing that sinister undertone, it's like, ooh, oh, damn. Right? I don't like this, right? You were supposed and, to bring me pizza. Like, and that's pizza. what makes him a great villain. Yeah. And, and notice how Tony didn't let him downstairs. That's true. He wanted to, you know, kind of be clued into what's going on. Like, what are you building? How did you make this arc reactor thing? Let me have it. Let me see it. <laughs> We're partners, Tony. Tony's like, nope, this is my thing. Like, I'm keeping this close to the chest, literally. Literally, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then that moves us into the operation scene that we talked about. Pepper playing operation on Tony's chest and... <laughs> That was one of the scenes I remembered best when, when I came back. It had been a long time since I rewatched this, but I remember when we got to operation scene, I was a little bit like, oh man, we're going to go through this. <laughs> it still gets you. still gets you watching it. Definitely. There's this very real sense of like, oh my gosh, what if she does it wrong? And like, what if I were in her position, like being asked to help a friend and I get it wrong? <laughs> yeah. And then when she does pull it all out, it's like, ah, the sound. <laughs> He's like, don't do that. Now I'm going into a cardiac arrest. <laughs> She's just like, it's going to be okay. It's okay, Tony. <laughs> I think she was telling that to herself more than anything else. Because it was, and she like just went into it, like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Like, you're convincing yourself more than him. He was just kind of sitting there waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry it up. Um, and then she keeps his arc reactor. I think that's really cute. Um, Makes the trophy out of it. Proof that Tony Stark has a heart. Yes, it's going to have a huge emotional resonance later on. So one yep. of those big things that will come back to us. I like that. There, there's a lot of the bringing back and tying everything from the past into the future. They do that really well through the MCU. And that's one of its strengths. Yeah, it's true. Everything is relevant. There's no detail that's too small to be brought back. And it's a little treat for the, the fans later on. You know, like I remember this little line about the cheeseburger. I remember the trophy. I remember all these things. And it just makes it more real and immersive. Like everything is relevant. So, yep. Definitely. Keeps you clue watching too. Every time you watch a movie now, you're like, what did I miss? What did I miss? It's true. I catch something new every time I watch the movies. And that's really fun. So. Then, then we get into the next sequence of him building Iron Man Mark II, right? <laughs> tinkering with his projects, trying and failing and having fun. It's fun oh, for the so audience. I just love this, this piece. <laughs> yeah, when he throws himself into the wall and then the little <laughs> robot dances in with the flame or the flame retardant. Right? He's like, I'm going to give you to a college. <laughs> I'm going to donate you. He's so mean to that poor robot. Right? <laughs> it's just trying to help. It's just a little little friend robot for him <laughs> he's, he's just not that smart right 
So, so yeah, he's that, keep- that was good. Watching the, the sequence of how he develops the, the rockets, how he develops the armor, how things fit together. You see, again, it's the failing to succeed, the trial and error that we need to see versus what you get in more modern movies where it's, okay, you have this power now and you're super powered. Mm-hmm. Next day, they know how to use it. We needed to see the buildup and, and a lot of stories, not just the MCU, gloss over that struggle, I think, to get to the more exciting stuff now. And I, I have a feeling it's more audience attention spans versus um, what they were back then. But this was handled really well. You show the comical side of failing and it keeps people interested in watching. That's true. It's very human. It just makes him a little bit more relatable that, you know, he has this vision, but it's not going to happen right away. Like he needs to go through all of these pieces and test it out. And so he's building this thing. Meanwhile, we know the 10 rings are coming through the desert, trying to pick up all the pieces of what he's done and try to make it for themselves. Like, how did he make this little robot guy? Um, Drama behind the scenes at Stark Industries, they kind of spare us of all of that political talk that'll happen back there Um, until he takes his new new suit out for a spin. He goes for his first flight. (laughs) (laughs) So such a fun moment. We get this rock music in the background. He's having fun. He's laughing. He's like, yeah, I'm going to break the record. I'm going to go higher than anyone's ever gone before. Yeah, no. (laughs) And then we get the freezing problem, which again, they play it forward again too. Yeah, so that was brilliantly set up, the icing problem, that his suit's building up that buildup of ice. Jarvis is warning him the whole time, like, sir, this isn't isn't working out. But he's like, take me higher, yeah. Gotta test the limits. (laughs) Gotta test the limits. And, And he does, and he thankfully doesn't die, even though he crashes through, what, three floors of his mansion? Right, that he goes through the piano and a floor and like into a car, and, <laughs> and again, still survives, still right. walks away. Right, just imagine the MCU just ends right there. Like, oh, I didn't survive my fall. Oh my goodness, yeah, that that uh, that suit must be pretty damn strong if you can survive all that. Oh yeah, right. Although the, when they're putting it on him, like that automation sequence is really cool to watch. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that was really fun to watch it all come together and all the the colors. And I love this whole interaction he has with Jarvis about it. Like, uh, first Jarvis makes it all gold. And he's like, oh, that's a little bit too much, don't you think? And Jarvis is like, oh, what am I thinking? You're usually so discreet. (laughs) But he's like, throw that hot red red in there. Oh, oh, that should help you keep a low profile. (laughs) So snarky. I love it. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, they're perfect. And again, that's why you love Jarvis. Oh, yeah. He's another personality, even though he's just an AI at this point. He's got a personality that you can relate to. Definitely. Yeah. So um, so after he wakes up and kind of shakes off his fall, he finds Pepper's gift that she made. The Tony Stark has a heart. She did a whole like engraving on his arc reactor. And then he goes to the concert hall for the big gala. And that's where we get our first Stan Lee cameo in the MCU. Oh, yes, the Hugh Hefner Stanley cameo. Good to see you, Hef. <laughs> yep. And that's where he leaves Pep- Pepper on the uh, the roof mm-hmm. when they look like they were just starting to get together. So will close. They, they almost they, kissed. Will they, will they? Yeah. <laughs> After their big dance and telling her his social security number, five. <laughs> yep. But that's where we see the curtain revealed on Obadiah. That's right. Yeah. And that is such a sinister moment. You smile for the cameras as he's whispering right in his ear. Oh, oh. That was a beautiful moment. Yeah, beautifully done the way that they handled that. Yeah, so evil, right? Um, So he finds out that there's all these shipments of Stark weapons still going to Gomira, where Yinsen's from. And so there's this big situation happening over there, war. Um, and Tony's like, what is going on? I didn't approve any of these shipments. Why are we sending weapons to Golmira? And we know that um, Obadiah Stane has a lot to do with this. So, so Tony puts, puts a suit on and he goes to Golmira. He's like, I'm going to shut this whole thing down and have a big pew-pew sequence. <laughs> that was a fun one to watch too. And he's got, you know, the, the targeting of all the different people when oh, they're yeah. all lined up, even though they've got their hostages and then they're dead. And it's like, all right, there you go. Have Adam leaving the last one behind. 
Right? Yeah, that was a lot of fun to watch. We, I think that's the first time we get him with the like the Iron Man voice too. Like mm-hmm. when he's like, that he's all yours. And we see, we hear like his awesome robot voice come out. And when the tank blows him out of the sky, he stands up, fires this itty bitty looking little rocket. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Doesn't even look at it because you can't look at explosions. You have that's to walk right. Away. Cool. You know, cool guys don't turn around. They just keep walking <laughs> from explosions. Let's walk away. That's right. Definitely. Um, get some development between him and Rhodes because he's flying around in the air and the U.S. military is trying to shoot him out of the sky. Yep. <laughs> he's on the phone with Rhodey the whole time. That was a, a very tense scene. And uh, especially when um, he's first, he's on the bottom of the plane after they had shot or tried to shoot him down. He ends up on the bottom of the plane and then they shake him off and that ends up wrecking the wing of the plane and so now you've got a pilot who is trying to pull the chute can't get out you've got another fighter still trying to shoot tony mm-hmm. while tony's trying to save the pilot i mean it's it's crazy what an insane like really cool scene but an insane situation yeah there's a lot to unpack there lots going on and and i love how they diffuse it at the end like just say it was like a, a training exercise gonna do were... that <laughs> it was a training exercise i love that yeah <laughs> Definitely. Which again, <laughs> call forward again, because the next time he stops the guy from making the phone call, he's like, don't worry, it's a training exercise. That's right. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, that comes back. <laughs> there, there's so many recalls. And, and again, I think that's why it works. They started it with this movie and they've continued it on. And then from there, we speed really quickly into the end because all these other things just start building up where we see that Obi's been meeting with the Ten Rings, having meetings with them, twirling his mustache. Oh, evil. So right? evil. So evil. Like he uses the paralyzing machine on on the Ten Rings, right? Yeah. <laughs> like he has the upper hand there, which is wild. And, and when he walks out of the tent, everyone else is dead because his people took care of it. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, how evil is this guy? Definitely. And yeah. then you see um, uh, Pepper go to uh, Tony's office mm-hmm. and she's downloading the files and she translates that one video where the terrorists are talking to Obadiah saying, no, 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 you didn't tell me this was who we were trying to kill. Your price has gone up. Yes. That was such a shocking moment the first time, you know, when, when you were first watching this, like just realizing how deep he is in this, like he ordered the hit on Tony Stark on his, his lifelong friend. He ordered the hit on him. And then he walks into the office while she's downloading the stuff. It's like, <sighs> what oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> such a tense scene. Like, I, I really thought that he caught her, you know, like, uh, that he like figured everything out, like before she walked away, but um, he was like waiting for that confirmation after she left. And then, then it's just breakneck speed as she she finally has her meeting with Coulson. <laughs> he shows up yet again. No, no, your like, office. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have our meeting right now. <laughs> but he comes through, bringing the extra agents in to attempt to bring Obadiah in. But uh, uh, who is it that said that's not going to be enough agents? Somebody said that. Oh, gosh, I can't remember. That's not going to be enough. <laughs> Yeah, and it wasn't because he's got the Ironmonger suit up and running because while Pepper was dealing with Coulson, Obadiah went straight to Tony Stark's house and ripped out his arc reactor. Yes, all those things going on. Um, And I think somewhere in between is where we get that that scene that we talked about where he's talking to Ralphie from A Christmas Story, the the scientist. (laughs) Yes. And and that's one of my favorite lines where he just snaps like, Tony Stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps. And and it says so much about Tony and about Stan, just like how how much he's snapped and and what a genius Tony is because um because the scientist is trying to say like yo this isn't even possible like this isn't a thing that we can do <laughs> so. yeah but see that the, that begs the question though why would you kill somebody who is clearly capable of creating the things that you're gonna need created that you want right <laughs> so <laughs> like you, you don't do that yeah so but he had to get rid of him because otherwise he was gonna lose his power Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a power trip. So, yes. So once Tony is paralyzed, it's a whole everything blows up. So Pepper and Coulson breaking into Stark Industries, trying to catch Obi. He's tinkering with the big suit. And one of my favorite things, like nobody ever talks about this, but when Coulson blows the door open, right, and then Obadiah hears this, 
and he like kind of like his ears perk up and then he does kind of this like Dr. Robotnik run to go into the suit like I don't know if any nobody ever talks about this maybe I'm just like seeing things but like he does this very like evil like teehee kind of run to get into the suit <laughs> and it goes for like a split second but it's the most hilarious thing to me <laughs> i i have to wonder why he had to make his suit so much bigger i mean how much compensating was he trying to do i mean obviously there was the the ego issue there but uh, the the suit he made was ridiculously big and looked huge. more cumbersome Right. And so bulky and heavy. And like you would think, like, I, I would be thinking, like, what are the problems this is going to cause with like mobility? <laughs> exactly. Like I mean, and you saw the giant hydraulics and stuff just to get the arms moving. It's that was not the right way to go. Right. Yeah. So it's a big chase sequence. He's chasing Pepper all through Stark Industries, preparing to kill her until she gets up to the roof with him. And I love that line your services are no longer required. <laughs> Oh, such an evil like villain line. Definitely, yeah. That's how what I love about his evolution. He's so buddy buddy in the beginning, and then at the end, he's like, "Your services are no longer required." <laughs> and then he and Stark go at it. But I loved that again, bringing bringing back the reality of the situation, it, even as fantastical as it is with the suits. The reality of it is, Tony's almost out of power. That's true. His battery is going down, down, down. He's getting worn the whole entire time that he's about to run out of power. Which is and, and it's not it's his, just the suit that's on. It's his life that's on the line too. His life, yeah. That's thing. That's powering his heart, basically. <laughs> yeah. So they made an excellent use of like the ticking clock thing throughout the movie. Like he has one week to build the suit. He has these batteries that keep on going down, and that really keeps us invested in, in stories when we have that ticking clock in the background, like, oh, mm -hmm. is it going to happen in time? And so they made a good use out of, out of that several times in this movie. Yeah. Definitely. So, and then again, that's where the icing line comes back in. Yeah. How'd you solve the ice problem? <laughs> what? What's the ice problem? <laughs> Might want to look into that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they crash down to the roof and they're fighting a little bit more and then Tony uses Pepper to go and try to overload the big arc reactor, the one that's powering the, the building, basically. Um, and so, so that's the big buildup until he finally falls through this thing, and there's no way anyone can survive that. <laughs> what does it say, though, that Tony couldn't defeat the Ironmonger suit without help from Peppa or Pepper? That's a good point. Yeah, I, he, that was a good nod to their relationship that that she was instrumental in the defeat of the Ironmonger. It's true. Yeah. And it shows how far he's come during the movie, too, because he's such a like independent kind of figure in the beginning. Like I do everything myself. I have no family to go back to. But in the end, like he's very much like I need your help, Pepper. <laughs> like This is you and I in this together. So again, that's that humanizing you know we see we see the capable um the possibilities for good with his character he's not 100 percent the perfect person never gonna be he's always gonna have that smart snarky smarmy attitude nice. but he's deep down he's good and he's trying so that takes us to the last few minutes the end sequence of the movie where he has another press conference. He's going to stick to the cards this time. So he says, <laughs> Coulson has a whole alibi for him. They're going by S.H.I.E.L.D. now. They're calling themselves S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, they say, like, we have an alibi for you. This is what you're going to say. You were on a yacht. You were with Pepper. You know, all these things. You weren't You weren't even there at Stark Industries. And, of course, um, Christina Everhart comes back, the reporter that he slept with. And, and she is like, you expect us to believe all that? And questioning the whole story. And he then he breaks away from the cards. He's like, first of all, <laughs> you're questioning the story. Second of all, I'm not a superhero. She's like, I didn't say you were a superhero. <laughs> Again, the ego, the, he still has the ego and the ego is, is going to push him towards doing things he shouldn't do. Definitely. So yeah. he still has flaws and he has to, because if you're going to continue a series, your character can't be perfect by the end. They can't, oh, no. they've finished part of their arc, mm -hmm. but there's still more to go. And he still has a lot more to go. 
lot more to go because I can't even think how many times he's going to appear in the MCU, but he's, you know, there, there's the three Iron Man movies plus all the Avengers movies. He's going to be in Civil War. Like he has this whole thing coming up. Um, and so he's not perfect. And I love that he acknowledges that at the end, he says, you know, I'm not, I'm not hero material. I have this laundry list of character defects. I've made mistakes, some publicly. I'm not superhero material, but the truth is, <laughs> and then we get that classic line, it's going to have that resounding emotional toll for us later on. I yep. am Iron Man. Yep. Man. Yeah. And of course, the reporters go wild, and then we get our end credits. So when you first watched it, did you know to like sit through the end credits? Like, was that a thing that you just did when you were watching movies? No. <laughs> no. That was, uh, people were like, oh, you got to watch the end. I'm like, no, why? Right? I'm sitting through all that. <laughs> Yeah, I usually like if I'm watching a DVD, I hit fast forward because I don't like it to like start at the end credits. Like the next time I put the DVD in, it's going to start there again. So like I like fast forward. So it goes back to the main menu, but I don't watch them. Like I'm like, I'm not going to watch end credits. And so I can't remember how I knew to watch the end credits for Iron Man. I think somebody told me like, hey, we need to stay for this. And I was like, why? Um, and then, of course, it's important. Like now it's just a thing that's that we do now when we're watching a Marvel movie. We sit through the credits and we prepare for what's coming next because we've been trained. We've been trained, yeah, from <laughs> minute one, from, from movie one, we see Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury in Tony Stark's home, you know, epically staring out the window, his back to the camera, says, you think you're the only superhero out here? You're a part of a larger universe. You just don't know it yet. And I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. So, yeah. which he was not approved for initially, right? Yeah, because so. of those character defects that he is so proud of listing. So, I remember when I first saw this end credit scene, I was like, "That's cool." You know, I didn't really know much about the Avengers themselves. Like, I didn't know that they were building this universe. I like the name Avengers didn't mean anything to me at the time. Um, and even if it did, I wasn't sure that they were going to commit to like actually building out this fleshed out universe. So it's just like, oh, that's a cool little like nod to the comics or whatever. But I feel like other series have let us down before. Like we were supposed to get Spider-Man 4. We had all this hype for that. And then they shut that series down. X-Men could have had so much more potential. And so I don't think that I let myself get excited about like, oh, there's going to be more coming. I was just like, oh, that's a cool way to like end it and tease that there's more to come behind the scenes in Tony's life that we're never going to get to see. <laughs> yeah, I was I was kind of the same way. I I it's great that they had ideas, but let's see what happens. And you know, I I didn't again, didn't realize that they were actually going to pull through when they said they were going to do this whole big 10-year plan and they were going to have all these different phases and they were going to go through all the different characters. I was like, "Wow, okay, sure. I mean, sounds great and all, but let's you know, put your money where your mouth is. Let's see it happen. And Absolutely. yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. Definitely. Um, so what I heard about this is that that whole end credit scene that was shot with the skeleton crew. So most of the cast and most of the crew had no idea that this was going to happen. They didn't know about Samuel L. Jackson. And so they would pull him in and Robert Downey Jr. And like, a very like secret selective crew that worked on this together. And so it was this big shock when Iron Man premiered and a lot of the cast didn't even know like, what, wow. what is this end credit scene? So, so I think that's how really cool. How cool is that? And how can you keep a secret in this day and age? Jeez, right? <laughs> that's amazing. Right, they really um, kept it under wraps. And what's cool is like the evolution of how Marvel is keeping these secrets because um, I, I watched the trailer for probably the first time yesterday. It's up on Disney Plus, and I watched the, the trailer because I don't remember seeing any trailer before Iron Man. Um, and it pretty much takes you through the whole movie. Like it even shows Obadiah Stane kind of like being evil. And you see like pretty much the whole plot of Iron Man in this one trailer. And now Marvel is like infamously good at misdirecting us when they post their trailers. Like there is always something that's not going to make it into the movie or they'll kind of like lead us one direction and then take us another direction in the movie. And they're really good at keeping things like really under wraps now. So. Except for the few actors who let things slip every now and again. Oh yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, they oh, trailers have come so far since back then. And, and you're right, they do. They The old trailers pretty much gave you the movie as the, the pitch thing. instead of you know teasing you into it yeah so what a ride to 
go through that again. It had been so long since I rewatched Iron Man, but I think now, um, I'm curious, where does it rank for you in the MCU or even just in phase one? Like, where do you put Iron Man one? I still, uh, Iron Man one is still one of my absolute favorites. Mm -hmm. Um, After that, I like the first Avengers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one was one of my all-time favorites. I, I loved that. Again, it's that snarky, sarcastic you know quarreling crew which is my that's my thing i love that oh yeah <laughs> and uh and and that took us in a different direction and um really everything that that kind of weaves it back into to the fold i enjoy but really iron man the first one and iron man the third one um those were probably my favorite in this series and then mm-hmm. as soon as we started getting the avengers then I got really excited. I liked Thor. I actually liked Thor the Dark World, even though a lot of people don't like that one. Mm-hmm. I really did like that one. It's mm-hmm. probably my favorite over the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, once we started really weaving it into the Avengers, I was like, wow, all right, cool. I like this. Definitely bringing all those threads together. Like nothing mm-hmm. was irrelevant here. Um, yeah, I would have to say I agree. Like, you know, Iron Man, it wasn't really a movie that I would just rewatch. Like, I think I was just like, cool with it when it first came out. I liked it. I was still very much in like the X-Men camp. <laughs> and now I, I think that's funny looking back on that now, but, but rewatching it now, I'm like, this was just a solid movie in terms of its pace and plot structure and in terms of everything that it set up for Iron Man in terms of the characters. Like there's not a single bad character. I think my only critique watching it now is that it's jarring to see somebody else playing Rhodey. <laughs> I wish they would have just kept the one, one person. Yeah, recasts are hard. That is hard, yeah. But but I think Terrence Howard did a good job. Like he didn't feel he didn't feel different than Don Cheadle. Um, I don't know. Don Cheadle had his own unique twist. I like I like Don Cheadle in the in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was more fun loving, more quirky. Um, he played off of Stark a lot more, whereas mm-hmm. the roadie in the first one was kind of almost a doormat. Yeah, he has to take the humdrum beat. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like he, he got pushed around too much, whereas as Don Cheadle's pushed back a little more. That's true. Yeah, that's interesting to think about for sure. But for the movie, he did a wonderful job. And then when we get Don Cheadle in the next one, he also does a really good job. So, I mean, I like them both in the roles that they played. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just always hard when you get a recast, though, because then you got to like wrap your mind around another person's face on that character. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And kind of pulls you out of the immersion for a little bit until you settle yeah. into the next person. So lots of fun. Um, so Katie, thank you so much for breaking down the movie for me. Do you have any other closing thoughts or on Iron Man or anything else that you would like our folks to know? Oh, geez. I don't know. We talked about pretty much everything. Um, I can't wait to see what your podcast continues to do. I'm excited. Thank you for letting me be the first. And uh, I will definitely be following along because I, I love nerding out. So getting to hear everyone else's perspectives on stuff will be awesome. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to have Steve. There's some more writers coming in. There's people from all different branches of my life. And I think that's just goes to show that Marvel is kind of for everybody. You know, it's there's there's something for everybody. And um, but I thank you for being the first, like you were just the perfect person to kick this off. And, and I hope that you'll come back. We'll have to try to get Jenna on here for Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. So, oh, yes. That's the three of us. Cause that's like our, our thing that we always talk about. So. Yep. Yep. Definitely. And, and what an awesome idea to create a podcast that allows you to do like the Avengers and bring everybody together in order to, to celebrate, you know, the fandom. I love that. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, this is a project of joy and hope and just all the things that that I get out of Marvel. I think, you know, um, somebody left a review already on episode zero about how it took them down memory lane. And I hope that other movies will will do this for them. Um, because I think when I look back on, you know, the first time I saw Iron Man, the first time I saw these, movie, these movies, I have such positive memories associated with them, either the person that I saw them with or like the way that it brought me comfort and joy at a time that I needed it. Like there's just so much, when you have your fandom, no matter what it is, if it's Marvel or Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, when you're really into it, there are ways that it can bring you um, so much hope and joy in, in this world. So we need uh, it. We absolutely need that right now. Yeah. So it's a good, this is a good place to, to celebrate that and bring everyone together for it. So. I love it. Brilliant. Awesome. 
Well, thank you so much again, Katie, and we will chat soon. Definitely. Thank you so much. And so, 14 years after Iron Man premiered in theaters, Tony Stark has inspired cosplayers, merchandise, fan art, fan fiction, and overall a wild amount of popularity that's only grown since 2008. And for Katie, it's not just because his movie came first. Her take is that it's important for us to see our heroes fail. It's Tony's shortcomings that give him depth and make him real, and surprisingly easy to relate to for a genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. In this one movie, we learn that he's not a perfect human, but he is pretty darn human. And what we know for certain at the end of this movie is that Tony Stark has a heart, and I can't wait to hear what my other co-hosts have to say about him. Before I leave you, if you enjoyed listening to us break down the movie, go and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It doesn't have to be long, just a few short thoughts. Many thanks to the folks who have already done this since our pre-episode launched. Now here's something really exciting. If you keep listening, when we get to the first Avengers movie, which is the sixth one we'll talk about, we have a giveaway opportunity for folks who left reviews on Apple all the way up to that point. You have to listen for the name that you use there, but I'll pick a few reviewers at random to win one of these free prizes. I have a Stan Lee Funko Pop. Stan Lee meant the world to so many people, and without his brain, the MCU as we know it would never have been born. So this Funko has a really cool patina, and it's fresh inside the box, ready to be delivered to you wherever you are. The other items are sponsored by Presidio Comics. I have an Iron Man Funko Pop also fresh inside the box. He's got his mystic armor on. And I also have a $25 gift card to go poke around and get yourself something fun. And there may be another item or two on the way. So if you're listening from Tucson, stepping into Presidio Comics feels like stepping into a gold mine and looking for treasure you didn't even know existed. Check out their shop in the upper level of the Tucson Mall. It's always great to shop local whenever you can. When it comes to Marvel and other fandoms, Presidio Comics has everything you might be looking for and things that you weren't looking for, but now you need them. Comics, collectibles, and all kinds of other goodies. You can also shop online at presidiocomics.com. We have a little while to go before that, and if you're planning to follow along, the next movie up is The Incredible Hulk, also released in 2008. This one stars Edward Norton and Liv Tyler, and it's the second movie in the MCU. Go and check it out before the next episode, where I'll have a new co-host ready to break it all down. Then, if you feel like joining the conversation, we're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us at Quantum Realm Pod and give us a follow. We'll see you again soon to chat about our favorite green monster. Until then, I'm going to go and get a cheeseburger. Why don't you go and treat yourself too? Take care. The Quantum Realm has no affiliation with Marvel Studios or any other branch of Marvel Entertainment. The opinions expressed by the participants are all theirs and do not reflect any companies or organizations they're connected to. Thank you so much for listening, and until the next time, be well.